Welcome to the Intentionist Podcast, where we explore the interplay between intuition, spiritual health, and everything in between. I'm your host, Amy Schreiber. And I'm Hilary Zwallen. Our intention is to create a dialogue that inspires you to consciously forge your path with curiosity and compassion for life and its mysteries. have a guest, Maria Abad. She talks with Amy about Taoist philosophy and yoga. They cover the similarities and differences between these Eastern spiritual traditions and their application to the natural elements and seasonal cycles. So right in line with what we love, right? She discusses nature and living in balance with its yin and yang qualities. It's a perfect follow-up, by the way, to our summer alignment episode from last week. If you haven't taken a listen, check out episode 18. They also dive into environmental issues with the ocean, climate, and the results of humans working against nature. They finish up by exploring spiritual health and its arch enemy, the ego. Dun, dun, dun. Maria is originally from Venezuela, where she was introduced to yoga at an early age and has since traveled around the world studying different yoga styles, including Hatha, Yin Yang, Iyengar, Restorative, and Ashtanga Vinyasa. Balancing tradition with creativity, she guides classes, workshops, and teacher trainings that combine techniques from each of these traditions and her training in Thai massage therapy. To learn more about Maria and her studio in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, visit kapuriyoga.com. That is K-U-P-U-R-I-Y-O-G-A.com. She's also on Facebook and Instagram as Kapuri Yoga, so feel free to connect with her. And without further ado, I'll turn it over to Amy and Maria. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I thought that we would begin by talking about Taoism and yoga philosophy. You've studied a lot of different styles of yoga, and specifically the yin-yang yoga is something that I think a lot of people aren't really familiar with, and it's really interesting. I love the practice, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, for sure. Taoist yoga, as the name implies, derives from Taoism, from China. It's mainly based on the philosophy of the yin-yang and the theory of uh, five elements. It derives from traditional yoga from India. I will not say that one is better than the other. Taoist yoga comes from India. It was originated in India when we study the history of India. At some point in this history, yoga had to escape from India and go into other nations, other countries, because India was invaded by cultures, by the Mughals mainly. So these cultures were, in a way, against yoga and those types of beliefs. So the people who were studying yoga or practicing yoga, some of them, the masters, escaped uh, some to the south, Southeast Asia, some went up north into the Himalayas and China. And there it is when uh, yoga goes to China, into monasteries. And it kind of uh, blends in with the Taoist philosophy, the martial arts. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can see in Taoist yoga, especially in the Yang flows, a big influence of Kung Fu, Tai Chi, and Qigong. So that is basically the origin of Taoist yoga. 
And then when it comes to the um, philosophies of yin and yang, it's all about creating balance. doesn't mean that one it's better than the other or one it's um, more necessary than the other. These two forces of nature are complementary to each other. They cannot exist without each other. It's like seeing the two sides of the coin. The coin is not a coin if you don't see the two sides. Mm -hmm. It's all about creating balance with the elements of nature, too. And that's when the theory of the five elements appears. The Chinese have five elements that rule their philosophy and even traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture. These five elements are um, water, wood, fire, earth, Metal. Did I mention earth already? Yes, you did. I'm using one. So there's earth and wood. Earth, wood, fire, metal, and water. A wind. No, there's no wind. Oh, wait. Okay. Yeah. So there's no air. No. Oh, no. okay. Interesting. No. And that is one of the differences with um, Ayurveda. In Ayurveda, they do talk about five elements too, and they do mention air and ether. Uh-huh. And now that I speak about Ayurveda, which is from India also, mm-hmm. and it's the sister science of yoga, Ayurveda also, it's based in the balance of elements. It also has points of energies in the body that when we study and we compare them with Taoism are pretty much the same. So it's very interesting that after studying traditional yoga and studying Chinese yoga, all it's about energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and energy flows pretty much the same way in both philosophies. It's just as uh, one of my most close teachers, Bernie Clark, says it's all about balancing the energies and it's all how you see it in what type of map uh-huh. you see it. The maps are models, diagrams that help us understand a philosophy, a theory. So we could have the Indian model or the Chinese model. But after all, they all talk about the same, which is finding balance of energy, finding balance in the elements of nature. Other things that are similar and different in a way to compare are that the Indians talk about the chakras mm-hmm. and nadis, which are the energy channels. We have at least seven chakras. There are some other chakras, but the most uh, common are seven chakras and and many, many, many nadis or channels that emerge from these chakras. And the Chinese don't talk about chakras, they talk about meridians and energy points. Some of these lines, if we want to call them lines or energy ways, are pretty much the same from one theory to the other. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of a way how, uh, how you start studying the Taoist yoga. So in the Taoist yoga, aside from the five elements, they also have five seasons. Five seasons? Five seasons, five flavors, five feelings or sensations. But yes, the five seasons, that's something that's different for us that we're uh-huh. used to four. The fifth season is just a second summer. Oh, okay. So they divide the summer in first and second summer. Are they all equal in length, though, all the seasons? Not really. The summer, it's, uh, the two summers are shorter. Yes. That's interesting. So what elements do the two summers correspond to? Summers are fire and earth. And earth is the second? It's the second, yes. Oh, okay. So yes, uh, we're still, right now, we're still in the spring season, very close to to summer, Mm -hmm. to the first summer, as they call it. And one of the differences between one summer and the other is that the second summer is wetter. It's, It's after the rains. 
and the first summer is before the rain. So it's still this drier time. Mm. Lots of fires could occur, occur in this time before the rain, you know, because it's very, very dry. So that's maybe one of the reasons why they call it fire season too. It's fire belongs to the first summer. Once it rains, it turns into earth season, the second summer, and that has more water. And it has a little bit of yin entering towards the end which is the freshness of fall okay. towards the end of summer. The spring has a little bit of yang, uh-huh. which is the first summer arriving. So does it kind of alternate yin-yang every other season? or No, it's just about, um, we could say, the most yang day of the year is the summer solstice, and the most yin day of the year is the winter solstice. Mm. So before the summer solstice, yin, if you look at the diagram, the black and white diagram of yin and yang that mm-hmm. you know, we are familiar with, that diagram actually, it's how it goes. One side, for example, winter, it's the dark side, mm-hmm. but still has a little bit of white inside, still has a little right. of uh, yang. And that's what, what creates the balance, that little bit still in there. So midwinter, we are right at the darkest part of the diagram Mm -hmm. but as the year goes by it starts thinning and then the white part of the yang in the diagram starts getting bigger you know starts starts growing so it's a constant flow Uh it's a constant flow and actually the Taoists call it the cycle of creation okay when it's growing because um, let's say it will start in the water um, season in the winter and water feeds the spring, feeds the, the wood. Mm-hmm. Then the wood element feeds the fire element. Wood becomes fire when mm-hmm. we light it. So once the fire turns into ashes, it nourishes the earth. Ah, oh, okay. Uh-huh. And then in the earth and after many, uh, after a long time, we find the metals, the minerals, mm-hmm. which is related to stones and, and, and metals itself, so minerals. And this is also another analogy they used, that they will hold the water in a, in a metal bowl. So this metal will hold the water. Okay. And therefore, you know, that's how it helps to nourish the water. So... Um, that's the cycle of production, of creation. They also have cycles of destruction, too, which they represent in a diagram which forces that go against each other. For example, water turns the fire off. Okay. So, so that's how they look at things, how they balance um, according to the time of the year. So let's have a simple example, because this is a lot of words and it's kind of uh, sometimes hard to understand, but a simple example and just talking about yoga. It's how do, how do we relate to all of these ideas and thoughts up into the yoga practice? Well, let's say we're in the middle of summertime right now, it's hot, and it feels very hard to do a fast, strong, yang practice, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> to jump and do a lot of sun salutations. We're just going to overheat and it will be good for certain things, for circulation and perhaps if you need to invigorate in the morning, very early in the morning. So it really, even if you don't know anything about yin and yang yoga, it kind of makes sense to do us a softer, cooler practice, mm-hmm. still be stretched. So that's one of the differences between both practices. The yin practice is very slow. It's done on the ground. So you're still doing very deep stretches, 
but you're not doing all the cardio that you do perhaps in a vinyasa practice. Okay. And then in the winter time, it feels good to go into, you know, and to get your body warm up mm-hmm. and your muscles need it too. You need to create that heat in the muscles. So you work more uh, yang practices or you combine a little bit of yin for the joints that are stiff in the winter practice, but you do more yang because you need that at that time of the year, you need that heat in the muscles. And those are just an ex- one example. We, we say, the teachers told us, told me, that the yin practice, it's for the joints. And I don't need to be told that after you do <laughs> yin yoga. You know how it works, the joints, how it really, after some time of practice, the flexibility really increases with uh, yin yoga. And yang yoga, it's more for muscles and the cardio for blood. So when it comes to the practice, it's important to create a balance between both, between muscle and joint. Mm -hmm. And both of them need different types of practice. So I always advise people with with preference to faster vinyasa practice or practices alike, power yoga, shtanga, those practices. It's very, it will be very good for them to at least once a week complement their practice with a yin yoga practice. Mm-hmm. It would actually really make the power practice a lot deeper and improve their flexibility. So not trying to say that one is better than the other. I think both practices complement very well. Right. The key is just balance between them. Yes, yes. And you also do, you do workshops seasonally, right? Yes. Like for um, each one, mm-hmm. most years? Correct, yes. On each workshop, we cater in the whole aspect of life, not just the practice. When, I mean, of course, let's say we are in the, win- in the winter, the practice will be very yin, will be maybe a little bit uh, late in the morning because in the winter time we Start. tend to sleep mm-hmm. a little bit more or it would be nice to sleep a little bit <laughs> right. more in your retreat. Right. <laughs> so it's not as early. So once we start, you know, we start moving and creating a nice heat in the body. And then the diet also will be adapted for, for that time of the year, for the winter time, let's say. So in the winter we're, we should eat and, and our body asks for warmer meals. Our digestive fire is slower, so we need mm-hmm. the meals to be cooked, not so much raw food, not so much uh, fresh fruits. The meals for the winter time should be a little bit more prepared. And of course, if at home, it's much better with the, mm-hmm. with the local and with the produce of the season also. Right. So what's been uh, growing in that time of the year? Hearty meals for the winter, very fresh meals and salads for the summertime. And it kind of really all makes sense if, uh, if you're in tune with nature. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting because mm-hmm. we just, the last episode that we just recorded, we were talking about the seasons and kind of aligning your body with the differences in each each season mm-hmm. and how we've become so disconnected yes, to that yeah. through like the shipment of, you know, you get tropical fruits in Canada, you mm-hmm. can get all these things at all yes. times of the year. We have everything available at all, at all times of the yeah. year now. But that's important to get back in, in touch with, with the cycles, mm-hmm. our cycles of life. So it will really benefit the way, uh, for example, our digestive system, it's a slower in the winter time. So it's not as good for us to have fresh salads or ceviche and raw food because mm-hmm. it won't be digested as well. And then in the summertime, we have too much fire active. Mm-hmm. So we need kind of cooling, cool down yogurt. Also, it's, a, it's an excellent meal for the, for the summertime. Uh, cucumbers and uh, 
those type of refreshing juices, refreshing fruits and salads. Uh, so it's all about creating a balance. Um, and also in these retreats that I do on, on each season, we also cater to other aspects of the season too, which are, for example, the emotions. Like mm-hmm. every season has different emotions. Again, comparing winter and summer, summertime is when people go out and you're there's energy to be out, the days are longer, so you meet more people, you, you have more activities, and there are more things to do. In the wintertime, uh, you kind of feel like you finished your work and you want to go home, and that's it, uh, mm-hmm. not that much going on. But even that sometimes, especially here in this touristic town where we live, we call the high season the wintertime. Uh-huh. So for us, we work the hardest in the winter time when it should be really a time where we take it easier. And it, it's the same for most people in the world. Right. If we were to observe nature, for example, I mean, the birds in the winter time mm-hmm. or the trees in the winter time. Go dormant, yeah. They go dormant and the trees lose their leaves and they don't, they don't grow, they just stay like that or other animals uh, preserve food for the season. So if we really get to observe that and apply that to our lives, then uh, we wouldn't exhaust ourselves so much in the winter time. We wouldn't mm. get so many colds because we will be staying more at home instead of going out, getting sick with other people around right. us. Things like that. that are, um, it's very interesting once you start observing all these details of this lifestyle, if you want to call it. It's just basically observing nature and living in balance with it. Also, in, let's say you go to a Chinese doctor, they perhaps may say, that, well, you have too much uh, water in you, you need, to, you need fire. So they, they will adapt the, fire, the diet and even your yoga practice mm-hmm. or other complements of uh, Chinese medicine too, which are, for example, um, acupuncture, acupressure, the vacuum cups. Um, so they have also many other ways aside from aside yoga to, uh, mm-hmm. to treat and to create balance. As well as in Ayurveda, the foundation, the basic of all, it's, it's diet, mm-hmm. really diet, because diet affects uh, pretty everything. much everything. It affects right. the way we, we feel physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, if we nourish the brain correctly, our mind will be more practical, more mm-hmm. useful. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> that always And sometimes um, we don't realize that in our fast lives uh-huh. that, that we live today there's so much going on and uh, and also the meals every time more and more are less prepared at home right. and as you said they're less from what really is from around here the local and so we're really changing ourselves and uh, mm-hmm. for that reason there's no surprise why we have so many issues right now with digestion with cancer things are tumors, things are growing in humans. And, and also I see it um, in pets too. Oh, Lots really? of pets dying from, from their regular animal food that they eat these days. You know, it's too processed, so it creates tumors in them very fast. Oh, wow. I've noticed from my friends uh, lately so many dogs and cats dying. And, you know, it's kind of too late when they go to the vet and the vet says, oh, it's because of the diet. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it's funny because uh, some, sometimes you may hear people, oh, there's no dog food, there's no cat food, and, we pan- and they may panic. But what happened 100 years ago, 150 <laughs> years yeah. ago, when there wasn't a bag of dog food or cat yeah. food, you know? You they, fed them what, what you ate, right? Yes, yeah, they ate more more normal food, more. So, yeah, even this all extends into the yoga practice, into the environment, into your lifestyle. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in, you've traveled to a lot of different places with lots of different cultures and you've lived extensively in, you're from Venezuela and you live in Mexico now, but you've lived in, in the United States and in India and Thailand too? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Among other places. So is there a certain area that you've been that, that seemed to be more in sync with the seasons than others? Well, I would say more than an area, the people, again, who are in touch with nature. Mm -hmm. So it could be even an hour away from us when we go to see a patient up in the mountains. Right. That person will be in sync with nature. Mm -hmm. So, of course, uh, and some other uh, cultures, too, I would say, I mean, we cannot generalize, but I would say, for example, in Asia, there is more of a respect for nature. And again, this is a generalization. This Uh is kind of, as a tourist, I observe. Sometimes I wonder myself too, because as a tourist, we only understand half of the picture too. Mm -hmm. So we pretty much, we see things the way we like to, or we would think will be the Uh the beautiful way. And then again, you don't know if there's, I don't know, animal torture or something behind rituals and things like that. So, uh, so, but yes, I would say that more than a place that is in touch, it's uh, the people who are in touch. And I think people who work with nature are definitely uh, one step ahead. People who respect their animals are also one step ahead. And when I say one step ahead, it means uh, it's one of us taking care of the planet. Mm -hmm. One person who taking care of... um, of create of again living in balance and not exceeding these days we have so many things that are dangerous for ourselves right plastic for example <laughs> this is uh, something that you know we're going to be buried in it uh, uh-huh. unfortunately you know the ocean eventually or already is starting to have so much plastic and did you see the huge floating plastic like it's bigger than I don't know what city or state they said it. This yes, it's just massive floating out plastic. there. Yes. Yeah, it's horrifying. And it's <laughs> circling around. And yes, yeah. plastic. Greece also actually ha- mm-hmm. does the same thing. There are big masses of oil in the ocean. So garbage, plastic, these things, they get together and, and they just, they go in currents. So unfortunately that the fauna, the fishes eat that and perhaps we will eat that and and it goes down in the bottom of the ocean and it changes pH, it changes so many things in nature that it will affect, that affects us, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the ocean, it's our life. Right. Our water comes from the ocean. Once it goes up and condensed, then it comes into rainwater and we can drink it. But mm-hmm. if that doesn't happen, then we're seeing it already. We're seeing less rain, less, less balance because of all the crazy things man has done. Mm-hmm. Thank God, I think there is some consciousness being raised now. Right. And hopefully it's not that late. But we're already losing a lot. Daily, daily we lose uh, at least one animal species or one fauna. Mm-hmm. Or the last of this or the last of that is gone. Something that, you know, your child will never see. Yeah, and you spent a lot of time on boats. Did you, you've seen it change dramatically over the last... Yes, in the last 20, years uh, or so? 20 25 years, yes. Uh, just a lot less of, uh, of fun, uh, as we used to see before in this bay, which I'm very familiar with here in the Bay of Anderas. I arrived here about 30 years ago. And it was very common so almost every afternoon to see pods of dolphins jumping mm. in the bay. Hundreds, wow. hundreds of dolphins. And we don't see that anymore. We may see them coming in and out, perhaps um, when there's food for them to eat. Mm-hmm. They're still out there, but they don't come into the bay that much anymore. Or there are less of them. 
We also, or I used to see uh, the big um, sailfish or marlin. Oh. Vallarta was very f famous for people coming to do their sports fishing here. And you will see those beautiful species, huge, jumping mm -hmm. in the bay. Oh, wow. Well, they were all fished and caught. And somebody has them as trophy in a picture somewhere. <sighs> we also will still see, for some reason, I think the migration, it's important for them. So they come here to, uh, to reproduce. But I think, yes, especially the dolphins, it's, uh, we've seen some, not as many as before. I also, there's something interesting. Many years ago, I used to scuba dive and, and snorkel. And we always used to see this weird, for me, weird, strange uh, being in the ocean, the, which is the sea cucumber. Oh. Nobody ever cared about a sea cucumber <laughs> here. They were just there, mm -hmm. part of the view. And all of a sudden, this is probably about some 25 years ago. All of a sudden, we start seeing boats with people picking up these sea cucumbers. And this is down south of Puerto Vallarta, the little fishing villages, people mm -hmm. with a bucket going into the ocean and coming back with their sea cucumbers. What were they using them for? They were selling them to the Japanese. They didn't eat them. For what? For food. Oh, they would eat it's, them. Uh, yeah, you can have that as sushi. Ah. And it's, uh, it's not cheap. Nobody in the village ever ate this. Somehow the Japanese came over and offered them some good money for this. And all of a sudden, in less than two months, the sea cucumbers were gone. And we don't wow. see them anymore. Two months is all it took. That's all it took. They don't move. I mean, it's something that you just go there, you grab them and put them in a bag and sell them to somebody else. Wow. And That's it was crazy. Really, it was, yeah. I never saw them anymore here. Oh. So that probably has to alter. I mean, they have a function in the ecosystem. Right. Who was eating there? Who was eating, Who was eating yes. them under there? Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, wow. So those are just a little examples of um, ways nature changes. Back home where I'm from in Venezuela, too, I like to spend time up in the Andes. And up to 10 years ago, those were always snow-covered mountains, mm -hmm. but not anymore. Really? Yes. The glaciers are melting and they... Because it's the tropics already, the Venezuelan Andes are already in the tropics, so they are hot Andes, closer to the equator, so they're melting faster. Uh -huh. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we don't see the snow-covered peaks anymore. And also because of other developments they're doing on the other side of the, of the mountains, which is the plains, it's used now for cattle. Oh. So now cattle, it's eating the vegetation, so there's not the vegetation that will produce rain, mm -hmm. that rain will turn into snow. So all these two facts are really changing, again, the way... Uh, the whole climate, the, the whole world. The whole world, yes. Yeah. Even there, before I remember, one of the things people loved going up there in the mountains is that uh, you were up enough that you will never feel a mosquito. Oh. Now you feel mosquitoes up there. Really? Yes. That's terrible news. Oh. So I think, you know... And it happened also, actually, now that I was, uh, some days ago, I was in Pennsylvania. It actually, we were talking about that too. They were talking about mosquitoes and, and ticks being oh. more common than ever before. Ticks were something that they were just in the, in the southern United States, yeah. if anything. Mm -hmm. Now they're making it all the way up to Pennsylvania and even up north. 
Yeah, I think Lyme disease is yes, becoming yeah. a huge problem yes, now, yes, too, because of it. Issue, yeah. So we could all stand to do a little yoga for the planet, as you mm-hmm. say. Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that and your experiences, seeing the damage that has been done. Mm-hmm. It's so important to know about these issues so that we can become aware of the things we do to contribute to the problem and how we can help. I think yes, you're right, yeah. though. I think that there's more consciousness growing around these issues little by little, so... So you've said before that that nature and coming into balance with it is a major part of your spiritual practice. Can you talk a little more specifically about what spiritual health looks like for you? Spiritual health? Yes. It's probably uh, trying to or living with a clean consciousness, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is not easy at all. But in a way, it's like being able to go into bed every night, you know, aware of what you have done in the day and uh, feeling good about it. Or something needs to be worked, corrected, work on it. So Mm -hmm. so there could be a a balance. So so spiritual health, it's um, how you react to the issues of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, problems, disease will be here always. It's how we handle that, how we react to those things. And if we learn how to react with less drama, with less surprise, then, then we, we are clearer, mm-hmm. healthier. That, to me, is uh, spiritual health. It's, uh, it's having a clear mind, a clear vision of, of the aspects or, or issues of life. So you're aware enough every day mm-hmm. to where you know what needs to be improved and you know um, it. You try to be. Some days you realize you were not aware and you screwed up. And uh, but but the moment of reflection yeah, that gives but, you that. Yeah, yeah, but realizing that is like oh okay, mm-hmm. lots of work has to be done here. So that's part of always going back to that analysis is what is, I think it's also important. No, it's it's like a, let's say I will just forget of ana- analyzing that every day. Oh, I'm I'm not gonna. F- you know, be good anymore for a, for a month. <laughs> so I forget this month about everything I do, and I'm bad to people, and I say rude things, and this and that, and then maybe next month, uh, how I deal with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's something that you have to do every day. And, ongoing uh, process. It's a, Yeah, it's an ongoing process. But after all, again, it's a balance, because um, we also have to learn, and it's sometimes hard to learn, that we're not perfect. Right. So we make mistakes, sometimes big mistakes, but uh, if you are aware there was a mistake, maybe there's a chance to, to make it up, to, to come up with a solution, to say you're sorry, or mm-hmm. try to change what you did. So there's also, that's, that's another aspect that it's important to learn that we're not perfect and, and working through our imperfections, because um, that's when we, again, lose... Uh, balance in the spiritual health then the ego mm-hmm. prevails and it's like oh I'm, I'm I should be perfect but I'm not perfect and ego is enemy number one of uh, spiritual health <laughs> right <laughs> yeah once once the ego interferes there it's just your spiritual health is gone uh-huh. yeah because you will always be comparing to others or competing with others and so there will never be a balance so and just how would you briefly explain what the ego is. Is this just your personality self that feels separate from everything? How would you, how would you describe the ego? Well, ego is a disconnection. Again, yeah, disconnection from oneself and from, mm-hmm. from the group too. Because again, going back to once you realize you're part of it, then 
then you then then you enjoy the miracle of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you keep thinking that you're different or you're better or even worse than the rest, then uh, then ego will prevail and it will always be unhealthy. I mean, ego ego is the enemy. Well said. Yeah. Not to say sometimes you know uh, people, tribes, cultures, countries, nations defend themselves. You know, in the name of ego. Mm-hmm. Patriotism, fanatism, all those things are also ego. Basically everything that's wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. So if you see it also in that way, it's not just uh, in a personal level, but it could be when it's a group of people with ego, then then Mm -hmm. we run into the problems we have today. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, ego, like you were saying, it's the disconnection and it gets gets in the way of you trying or wanting to understand other people. So it gets in the way of empathy. I was reading this really, this really good article this morning about practicing healthcare with empathy, and and this doctor was talking specifically about treating prisoners. Mm-hmm. But he was saying that even like even someone you don't like, you don't agree with, you know, this person is a serial killer, for mm-hmm. example, but you still have to like fix their <laughs> their illness. And he said that curiosity is the most important thing. Curiosity is the beginning of empathy. And without it, we can't, mm-hmm. we can't even begin to, to connect with others. To find out, yes, finding out about the other, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. You yeah. strike me as a very curious person as you've been many different places and you're interested in a lot of different, different groups of people. So for listeners who don't know, Maria was my yoga instructor. And I've really valued her perspective this whole time because it is such a broad, coming from many different angles. You didn't just study one one thing with one group of people. So, yeah, all of that is really fascinating stuff. Before we get off, can you tell everyone your your website, how they can reach you or learn more about you and your your school and your workshops and stuff? Yes. I have a yoga studio in Puerto Vallarta. And it's a it's a school where we follow, where we teach uh, teachers trainings in different uh, styles of yoga and hatha yoga in yin and yang and other varieties of styles. My webpage is kupuriyoga.com. We are um, in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Beautiful space, oceanfront location. Very beautiful. Yes, <laughs> yes. So uh, this is my second studio in Puerto Vallarta and uh, just uh, started here about eight months ago. Hopefully there will be much more yoga coming. Yes. Well, thank you so much and we'll have to talk again soon. Thank you. Gracias for the invitation. Before we part, we'd like to say thanks for listening and we hope you'll connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We would love to hear from you and appreciate all feedback, shares, and likes. To learn more and subscribe to our newsletter, visit intentionists.com. And no matter where you are or what you're creating, we send you love and invite you to breathe and begin. See you next week.